You're listening to Cross the Line 1524, the common man's podcast. But I came here for just one drink. Recorded live at an undisclosed location known as the Rusted Nail Speakeasy, it's Cross the Line 1524 with Jeff Montag, Reuben Hunt, Dwayne Bischoff, and myself, Alan Stanger. And don't forget, Table 12, set back, relax, and enjoy. Earlier this summer, we had the opportunity to travel to Kansas City, Missouri to look at the Arabia Steamboat Museum as seen on Beyond Oak Island, uh, the show that Maddie Blake hosts. Uh, not only were we able to visit the museum, tour the museum, we got to sit down with the owner, David Hawley, and talk about the Arabia Steamboat as well as what's coming next. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. All right, we promise to make this short because we know you're a busy man. A lot of people here today. I know. Saturdays are crazy. So we're here with Cross the Line 1524. I'm Alan Stanger with Dwayne Bischoff, Jeff Montag, Mike Gardner, and our very special guest, David Hawley. So David is, we're going to say, the curator here. That good, uh, more than curator. So we're at the Arabia Steamboat Museum in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, a lot of our listeners, we've talked about that we were coming here. Uh, you know, our good friend Matty Blake talked about the Arabia a little bit on Beyond Oak Island, and we decided we were going to make the trek to Kansas City. <laughs> so here we are. Uh, first of all, I've got to say this is phenomenal, what you've done here. Oh, thanks. Absolutely amazing. Uh, for folks that don't know the history of the Arabia, it was a steamboat that sunk in the 1800s in the Missouri River. Uh, the river changed course after flooding. And it ended up in the middle of cornfield. Yeah, yeah. That was one of the things that people s so surprised at at the museum is they they didn't realize that rivers changed. They just moved their course, and they did. Not so much now. The Corps of Engineers has come along and with they flood control well manages yeah. it they, now. They pretty well control it now, except during floods and things right, like that. Right. You know. But back in the day, the captains of boats said having maps of the Missouri was pointless because by the time they traveled up a couple days and turned around and returned. The river was different. Sandbars had formed where they weren't coming up, and it was just a, always an evolving, changing river. Absolutely amazing. So, you know, we watched the videos coming down before we got into the museum. So uh, it was amazing. That, you know, there was one old gentleman that you guys was on your course for doing some HVAC work mm -hmm. for. Uh, it was a treasure hunter, and yeah, well, I went out to his story. house. That was that was the business we were in. My dad, brother, and I we were in the heating and air conditioning business. It was a hot day in July. I went out to a guy's house and got his air conditioner fixed and went inside and, and um, just to check the thermostat and all the internal stuff, you know. But in one room, he had these big pictures of, of the Missouri River and old maps and old boat pictures. And, and on one wall, he had flying saucers where they landed. And on the other wall, he had a Bigfoot cut out, full size, ceiling to floor. And he talked about all these things, and I sat there and listened to him forever. And, and then by the end of the thing, he finally got around to talking about the steamboats, which is really kind of what I was interested in anyway. But so I left there and had called my dad on the radio and said, hey, you got to meet me for lunch. i got to tell you about this guy. And, and I did, and, and Greg met us, and the, the restaurant owner, Jerry, came out and sat down and talked to all of us and 
heard these stories I was telling. And by the end of lunch, they said, well, Dave, you go find a steamboat. And we'll help you dig it up. More tongue-in-cheek than anything. <laughs> exactly. <right>? Sure. <laughs> but, but so the rest is history. Did. Found that boat, and we dug it up. We didn't dig it to do a museum. That was the thing. We dug it because it was just sound like fun, you know. Wasn't supposed to cost much. Wasn't going to take much time. But it'd be an adventure. A couple weekends, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just, uh, just not a lot. No, no real expense. No big. And if we made money, great. If we didn't make a dime, so what? Because it wasn't going to cost that much. We're going to learn to drive bulldozers and... Oh, it was going to be a big Hon time. Honestly, honey, it's really not going to oh, cost, it won't cost much, very right? much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I didn't have expensive hobbies. I didn't golf. I didn't do all those things. And so, you know, my wife says, "Well, yeah, it's, you need a hobby. Go, go find go a steamboat. Go play in the Yeah, you can't get in that much trouble. <laughs> Your dad and brother will be with you. You know. Well, one thing led to the next, and <clears throat> we'd run out of money digging that boat. You know, the five of us put in. <clears throat> initially, we put in five or ten thousand each. That's fifty grand. And about a week later, it was gone. And so we put another round in. And that was gone too quick. So we began to borrow from the bank. And by the time we were done, we'd spent a million dollars in that oh hole. Wow. I mean, now, now we're in a serious, this is yeah. now serious. serious. Stuff. Right. This is, yeah, this is, this is beyond, way beyond the hobby phase things. And then we wanted to keep it because we'd gotten attached to it. So then we needed a museum and all the stuff that goes with that. So we found this building, this building that we're in. Back in the day was an abandoned vegetable wholesale warehouse. Down here where we're at is where they used to store the produce until it was taken upstairs to be sold. And it was available. Um, and so we rented the basement and, and knocked out the walls that needed to be knocked out and cleaned it up and opened up the museum three years later and went through another <laughs> hundreds of thousands of dollars, a million bucks, I don't know. But we opened up in a lot of debt and just started paying loans off. And over time did, but we've not sold any of the collection or had government dollars or any of the rest it's just just folks and that's amazing that's amazing that was one of our questions if there were any you know assistance investors investors doing the museum but yeah. apparently you guys this did is just all. borrowed money it was the old-fashioned way we borrowed right. it paid it back you know well, there you go right. well, so. well i'm mm -hmm. just amazed because as we i walk through this building and the layout is just I, I was I'm amazed that this was an existing building that you're retrofitted for this mm -hmm. museum because it's just perfect for what you it guys is. have is. laid out here. But there is a display over there somewhere by the boilers of of the before pictures. Yeah. It's on that one screen. You know, mm -hmm. you can kind of flip through that and see it. Oh my gosh, it's it's different. See, w the building was a hundred feet wide and four hundred feet long, and we we rent the the biggest part of the lower level of it. And um, so we went to museum design people, you know, initially, because you always default thinking to the, to the thought of, I'm not smart enough to do this. Right. Okay? Right. I'm, I've never done it. I can't, I, I'm not smart enough to figure it out. So we went to museum people and say, hey, we've got this boat, got all this stuff, and we want to display it all. And we're hearing time and time again that they say, oh, you don't do it that way. That's not how museums are. You find your best 10 dishes and you find your best 10 shoes. And we'll put some big graphics up and that's how you do it. I said, but we got all this stuff. I said, you don't need it. It just takes up too much space. I said, yeah, but we want people to see. I mean, that's the story. The right. sto what, is a, what is a steamboat carry to the frontier? And you can only internally understand what that is and it, if you see it. And they said, well, whatever. Well, we couldn't afford them anyway. Their prices were like $400 a square foot. So that pretty well made the decision. Yeah. <laughs> so we went to museums. We took off, and all of us went one way or the other. And we went to museums, and that's what we saw. Saw wonderful exhibits, 
but they had a couple things in graphics. So that, that wasn't a good model for us to use as in terms of how to do the museum. So we just went down to the mall, down to the, to the retail stores. We went to the stores that sold dishes, yeah. looked at all these dishes. And we went down to the Sears store where they sold tools. We saw all these tools and the hardware stores and all these clothing stores and all the rest. And so we got all of our ideas from the mall and we came back. And in my basement, I started building a model, one inch to a foot out of foam core. I built one wall and the other and the other. The guys would come over maybe once a week or so and then just kind of watch the progress of things. And within about four months, um, the, the, the model was built. You know, I've still got it in the back. It's, 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 I couldn't throw it away. It was just too right. Cool. And so we brought an architect out and said, this is what we want, you know. And you look it over and see if there's a flaw here somehow. And otherwise, draw it up and let's get it built. So it's, it looks just like it looks, the model looks the same as what we got here. Well, and I think that's two points you make is you part of the story of this is the sheer volume of material yeah. that was of the goods that were in that ship. Yeah. And then I, I, you made that comment, and I was thinking as I was going around, the stuff is displayed like it would be in a general store yeah. on, on, you know, racked out and displayed yeah. very openly. It is. It's kind of, and it kind of makes you feel like you're on the frontier. You're kind of yeah. like yeah. shopping. Yeah. And that's what it was. These were stores going to, right. to be sold, you know. And so to display them as such makes a lot of sense. Pretty awesome. So, so the search is you've got another steamboat you're working on. Well, I found 12 so far. So I'm, it depends on what year you're talking about. I'm always looking for some other boat. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it just never ends, you know. <clears throat> so the next boat up, and this is, we went out with uh, the Oak Island guys, with Marty and Maddie, um, and, and drilled for a day on a steamboat called the Malta. Now, the Malta's an older boat. It sank in 1841, so it's 15 years older than what the Arabia is. The Arabia's collection is mostly settler supplies coming out to the frontier. The Malta was mostly Indian trade goods coming out. Oh, wow. Good. Came out of St. Louis uh, from the Choteau family. The Choteaus were French fur traders. <coughs> um, they owned the Malta. They owned the fur company, the, the American fur company. That was theirs. That was the biggest of all of them. There was a lot of them, but that was the, that was the biggest, the most successful over the years. And so they, were, they owned the, the boat, and they were shipping stuff to the fur trade posts up in northern Missouri and then into Nebraska. Well, it comes up and hits a tree and sinks like the Arabia did. No lives lost that I know of, but they did say that when the boat sank, um, it sank so quickly that they had to cut a hole through the roof to get, pull people out of it just to get wow. them to safety. Yeah. So they sat on the bank for days waiting for another boat to come by, and finally one did, and they hitched a ride back, to, back home to St. Louis. But the boat by then was, was totally lost. Doing the test drilling on the boat, um, you drill down 37 feet and you'll hit wood. You'll go a little further and then you hit another layer of wood. And you go down a little farther and at 53 feet you'll go through a heavy layer of wood and exit the boat. Well that distance between 37 and, and 53, there's enough room there for a couple of decks. Wow. Right. And when the Arabia sank, the river ripped the upper part of that boat away. We found the lower part, the cargo hold, which is packed full of stuff. Right. But the upper structure was gone. The Malta seems like it's intact. If that be the case, when we get down to it, I want to bring up the whole boat, you know, because yeah. I know how to preserve the wood. Didn't know how to do that on the Arabia project, but n do now. 
But the goal would then be put the, put the whole steamboat inside of an exhibit and its collection and that of the Arabia. So you've got the 1840s Malta collection there. You've got the Arabia's 1850s, so you can go between the two and see what looks like a change in 10, right. 15 years. Right. But the goal, the larger goal, is to dig six boats. One boat from every decade, 1820s through the 70s. The trains came, they reached Fort Benton, Montana in the early 1880s. And that was the end of steamboats. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, like we know it to right. be, like right. the Arabia and the Malta's day. That was done. It all went by rail then. Sure. But to dig those six boats and tell the history of, of the West, you know, of how it, was e how, it dissolved, how it evolved through the steamboats and the cargo that they carried would be phenomenal. The Arabia collection in and of itself is the largest collection of wet organics been found in the world from one dig site. And even the Smithsonian doesn't have one single collection equal to its size. So when you talk about big collections, this is yeah, some of the biggest you're going to find. Right. So you add six of those, that's, that's a heck of an exhibit. You won't see that in a day. You know? Well, no. No, I mean, this is really, I mean, we've on the online, it's an hour and a half to two hours. Really, this is three <laughs> to four hours. People if, do, yeah. If yeah. you start reading People and really read getting into it and watching all the videos, there's just so much to see. And, and I was, I thought, I went kind of, you go into one room and you're looking around and I went into another room and I turned around and I went, I didn't even see that. So uh -uh. you go back in there and, uh, know. you know, you just miss things even trying oh, to be you do. thorough. Yeah, there's a lady came out terrible long ago and she went through it just like you described. And she's, she was so taken with it, she had to bring other people back. And she did the very next day. And she came up and she looked and saw a whole wall of stuff that she hadn't seen the day before. And she <laughs> was just certain that we had installed it overnight. <laughs> she came up and said, how did you put that all in overnight? I was just here yesterday and this wasn't there and now I'm there. It's that. There it is. So, well. It we heard you were coming back. Yeah, so we were, yeah, we could, yeah I, did, I didn't tell <laughs> her she missed something it. Something new and fresh. Yeah, so yeah we just did it for you. <laughs> no. well, I think the other thing that you do here, you know, we're kind of kind of sitting in a classroom setting here, so I know you do field trips for schools and yeah. other things to educate people and children and what, what, what have it on the history. I mean, history, you, you just can't quit getting enough of it. Quite no, honestly. it's a good stuff, especially when you see it there. And, and you're looking at things that you can relate to. You know, you're things, seeing things that you see around your household, and you're looking at things that change and looking at things that don't change. Uh, and that's really kind of fun. L uh, when you look at the tools on the Arabia stuff, you'll see these files, and they look like they just came from the hardware store. Right, right. And the axe handles, they're the same curvature of those. Yeah. And then you look at the buttons that we found. And I don't know. I don't know if you can find. I'm not enough of a sewer to tell you I can find buttons like those, but right. I don't think so. And those are pretty unique buttons. You know, yeah. they're really beautiful that they had figured out how to make them long, long ago. Um, so there's, now you'll see other things. We've got a tool a lot of people are fascinated by. It's called the bed key. Mark your calendars now. The 2022 Brookville on Tap Beer and Bourbon Festival. It's coming Saturday, August 6th from 1 o'clock to 5 o'clock. It's held on Main Street in Brookville, Indiana at the Third Place Event Center. Your ticket gets you unlimited tastings and pours from over 20 vendors. That includes craft beers, wineries, and our favorite, distilleries. That's right, Brookville on Tap Beer and Bourbon Festival, Saturday, August 6th. Mark your calendars. Go online. Get your tickets now. It's Brookville on Tap Beer and Bourbon Festival. We hope to see you there. That's right, we've got a booth there. Come on out, say hi, and we have some gifts to give away. 
Batesville Liquor Co. located in Batesville, Indiana, and Tebby Liquors in Brookville, Indiana. You know it's springtime. Before too long, it's going to be time for boat drinks. And they've got all the ingredients for any boat drink, party drink you might want. Do you have a special drink you want? A special cocktail? Can't find it? Give them a call. They might be able to get it in for you. Barrel Picks, they've got Barrel Picks. They have a couple new ones coming in. Of course, you just heard us talk about Old 55. We'll let you know when that's in. And they've got a couple other ones that'll be in shortly. We'll make sure to let everybody know when those are in. If you're looking for beer, you're looking for wine, you're looking for cocktails, you're looking for bourbon, vodka, tequila, it doesn't matter what it is. Batesville Liquor Co. is a place to go. They're located at 315 Shopping Village in Batesville, Indiana, or check out Tebby Liquor, Main Street in Brookville, Indiana. Tell them the Cross the Line 1524 crew sent you, and make sure to check out that bourbon aisle they got. There's some good picks there. Make sure you friend and follow them on Facebook. They have tastings that they'll post on Facebook, and they'll let you know when new products are in. That's right, Batesville Liquor Co., in Batesville, Indiana. Gilman's Home Centers. With 14 locations and growing. You know what? It's the party time of the year. That's right. You might need some party rentals and they've got them. They've got bouncy houses, tents, even slushy machines for those adult party-friendly drinks. You know what? Things are heating up, which means you need to start thinking about watering options for your lawn and garden. They've got it. And you know what? It may be too hot for you. They've got plenty of air conditioning units and fans just for you. Gilman Home Centers, with 14 locations in Indiana and Ohio. Has ever heard of a bed key? Well, after I looked <laughs> at actually, well, we actually asked <laughs> Google the girl in the lab. <laughs> oh, okay. So, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Well, everybody comes in. I'm walking through this museum quite often, and people say, "Dave, what's a bed key?" Well, it it looks kind of like a socket wrench. It has it has a, a main round body that comes around that has a couple little takeoffs from that that look like they have sockets on the end of them. It's not more than six or seven inches long, and it's fairly light. You could put it in your pocket, I suppose. But I suppose every Frontier family had one. And back in the day before bed springs came along, everybody had something called a rope bed, a wooden frame, and the rope would run back and forth, and you put the mattress on it, and that's what you laid on. But over a while, your body weight would stretch the rope. And then it was saggy, and to keep it comfortable, you had to get this bed key thing and tighten the ropes on that rope bed. But that's where the expression sleep tight comes from. Ooh. There we that's go. That's its origin. Sleep tight. Don't, don't let, let the, the bed bugs bite. The bed bug part came because the mattresses are these big bags full of corn husks and straw and agricultural things, you know, and bugs get in there and come out and get you sooner or later. So yeah. anyway, I mean, it's a cool thing. Yeah. 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 And well, he, he mentioned the, the, the lab up there. It's out exposed and it's right in front yeah. and the girl's preserving stuff and talking ex- and explaining what she's doing. What you're doing. Preserve. And in the case of today, she was, she was putting a back together some leather leather shoes shoes yeah. Yeah. The boot back and together. it was it's pretty interesting the process that has mm-hmm. that has been developed mm-hmm. to, to preserve preserve those items it is yeah it's really unique there's i mean there's i suppose other places that do something like that but this is this museum is sort of a work in progress it's still evolving you know if you had come five years ago you wouldn't have seen as much as you're seeing today you come five years from now it'll be even more 
But um, the boots and shoes that you saw, I think we have, I don't know, fifteen or 1,600 on display. We found 4,000 of them, you know. That's amazing. Oh the fabric th that was right there across from the lab, that's less than 5% of our fabrics, you know. The, 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 the wool and the silk and the beaver hair survived. Came from an animal of some sort. And the protein and the fiber of the hair survived the water. That was okay. The cotton dissolved. So when you open up cotton boxes, there's red mud, blue mud, green mud, yellow mud, the <laughs> color of the dyes <laughs> the there. The dye. yeah. yeah. But when you find the coats, while the, the, the body of the coat, the sleeves and all that kind of stuff are fine, the wool coats, the cotton stitching's gone. So the coats are all in pieces. So you've got to rebuild yeah. them all. Well, that's what she was doing on that, on on that, that boot. She, she was re-sewing yeah. the face on it. Yeah, yeah, the cotton thread on that was gone, yeah. too. So you have to re-sew those shoes. So you take the shoe... When we were digging them years ago, we, we dug them out of the ground, and the thread was gone then. We could tell it was, the, the shoes were super muddy and super wet. You know, they've been wet for 132 years. So you can't let them dry. If they dry, really bad things happen to them. So we took all the shoes, and every night when we left the dig site, we'd leave at 7 o'clock at night, it took us an hour to get home. But we'd brought truckfuls of stuff home every day from the dig. And then once inside the lab, we had a building we called our lab, we separated the artifacts, the organics and the non-organics. The organic things being the leather and the fabrics and the wood and stuff like that. We'd wash them off and then we'd freeze them in blocks of ice. Now you wouldn't really do that to the dishes or it's no need to, right. or the brick or the iron, but the organic stuff, right. yeah. And so items we have yet to work on are frozen in blocks of ice. Now, the ice is real important because if you just put a shoe in there in the freezer, it'll dry in the right. freezer. Freezer burns, freezer, as I say. Yep. Yeah. That's really bad. Um, but in the ice, as long as air won't touch it, it'll be fine. I mean, for a long, long time, it'll be fine. So we bring out a box of, of shoes in this case and thaw them out. And then, like you were saying, she starts sewing those shoes up. And once it's sewn, it goes into a um, chemical of polyethylene glycol. Polyethylene soaks into the fabrics, into the cell structure, and it acts as a bulking agent um, to fill those voids that have been dissolved away by the water. And so when we do dry it later on, there's something left behind to hold the cell structure in place so it doesn't shrink and warp. So it comes out of the polyethylene, goes into that big machine called a freeze dryer. Um, it dries eventually. Um, but it takes four months to do that process per shoe. Wow. Four months. We found 4,000 shoes. So I guess we'll be doing that got a couple more weeks yet. <laughs> yeah, so got a few more weeks. <laughs> so, so of all the stuff you guys salvaged from the Arabia, so what percentage of it is still yet to be displayed? Uh, well, um, there's some things we can't display. We found two prefabbed homes being shipped out. I, I, saw the saw, the I saw the, the thing, display yeah. for that. Yeah, yeah. prefab homes. Who thought they had prefab homes right. in 1856? Well, they did. Um, but if you're building a home up in Nebraska, up in the Dakotas, there's no trees up there. It's right. all prairie. So you had to ship your wood up. The first house built in Omaha, Nebraska, came up on a steamboat in 1857. Up until right. then, it was a tent village, you know. Um, so we have two houses that, that are stacked up in the back. We can't build here. <coughs> um, the, the dishes are mostly done. Dishes and tin work and things like that, that's pretty simple. Um, boots and shoes, we still have five, six, seven years. Uh, maybe a couple thousand of those to do yet. The fabrics, mm, we have, <laughs> I don't know, 
three or four or five percent on display. Oh We've got wow! Years of of work on that kind yeah. of stuff yet. So See, I could take every throughout the whole museum. I could take it all out and put it all in fabrics. I've just got that much. It's but hard to believe that much fit well, in the cargo hold. Well, that's what I said. I just looking out there, what's out there right now, you'd think, how did you fit all this? And now you're telling us there's still another oh, 40, 50 percent. <laughs> <at least laughs> still still well, see, the clothes take up a lot of volume. Yeah, you know, you take they're not a, heavy, but size. No, but there's a, yeah, a coach takes up a lot of space. Especially so you wool. Get a, yeah, you get a bunch of those. and But we've got beaver hair coats and wool coats and burgundy colored ones. And you know, we've got some elegant things. That's amazing. You know? <laughs> and two houses. And two houses. Two houses <laughs> yeah. inside. Yeah. So is there a plan to put those up somewhere or do something yeah. with well, them? Well, or eventually? The, the museum will eventually move. Right. Okay. Well, there's just not enough room here to dig up the malt and put it in there. Right. So uh, we're working right now with um, folks in St. Charles, Missouri, just right next to St. Louis on the far east side of the state. Steamboats start there. Though. That's right. the beginning of this trek west for these, most of these boats there and around the corner in St. Louis. The mayor and some of the city folks came out not terrible long ago and said, Dave, we've got land and we've got, we've got a great story to tell. Your story overlaps our story. We'll help you build this museum like you're talking about. And if you'd like to come to St. Charles, we'll, we'll help make it happen make for it you. Happen. So we're, we're in the early stages of that. The architects met with those here just a week or so ago. We're beginning to kind of map out how big and what the story you're going to try to tell and what's it going to cost to do what you're wanting to do. Um, we've got to dig the Malta. And if it's all together, like we're saying, like to dig it a whole thing out, make that a centerpiece of the exhibit. Um, but they've got land there to do it. Now how do you, how do you go about getting a whole boat out of the water or out of the ground and putting it somewhere? Do you have do you have a plan for that? I or do. I would like to get you know s s um, the Amish folks. They are fabulous craftsmen. Are absolutely. Yep. Right. And it's kind of they're kind of um, they're kind of. They kind of roll with the time period right. that we're talking yeah, about here. You still know? Oh yeah, they're still building in that yeah. era. They are, yeah. yeah. And so um, you take it apart, you number it, you take it apart, you preserve it, and you rebuild it. One piece Simple at a time. Yeah, one piece, piece at a time. time. Yeah. yeah. So, Dave, I think we all just, we first became aware, aware of this watching Beyond Oak Island. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that episode, because we're, we're all into Oak Island and yeah. that, and then when Beyond Oak Island started, and then as soon as... I know my wife and I were watching the show, and we're like, "We've got to go. We've got <laughs> to go check out. Check this <laughs> out." Yeah. And, and these guys, when we got together, they had all seen, it and they were kind of same reaction. Uh -huh. It was like that was cool. Well, it was fun to have Marty out. You know, yeah. they're, they 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 have worked so hard on that island. You know, and they found little things here and there. There's just enough to kind of tease you and keep you exactly. going. You know, yeah. exactly. But when Marty come around the corner, where he could finally get a, an eyeball on the collection. He just stopped. He stopped, and he was quiet, and he looked left and panned off to the right and ran back and forth. And he looked over at me. He says, Dave, are you telling me you found all of this stuff on that one boat? I said, yep. And it goes around the corner, and there's a lot of stuff we haven't even brought out yet. Right. So, yeah, you're just getting started. Yeah. Well, and, and then, again, on that episode, you guys had located a sunken ship in the river. Yeah, and so the Radner. I, I, I know yeah. that's a whole different challenge. So is there hopes to be able to salvage that well that would be dangerous you yeah know? yeah you're you're now if it was then i told those guys you know that were with us that day i said now if, if this boat turns up to be in the shallow water where it's quiet you know where there's not a lot of current it's doable but if it's in the fast water you know it comes through there like a freight train 
and it's deep. It's 20-some foot deep to the bottom of the river, and that's not including how deep the boat is down in the mud. We right. don't know that yet. You're talking about a, a project that somebody could get hurt really bad, right. really right. quick. It right. could go south really, oh, really yeah, fast. Exactly. And it's just not worth it. There's plenty of boats in some guy's farm somewhere. Let's yeah. just pull that right. off. But it's nice to know where it is. Part of the interesting thing is to document its location. Sure. But that was the Radnor. The Radnor sank in 1846. It was hauling military supplies to Fort Leavenworth. be a really cool exhibit. That's yeah, that's yeah, that would be a cool one. But I'll go find one in the dirt. I know there's one out there. Yeah. I just haven't <laughs> looked for it yet. <laughs> Amazing stuff. So Amazing when you had Marty stuff. here, did you tell him, say, hey, do you, do you need me to come across to Canada to show you how to find <laughs> something? <laughs> no, I didn't go there. <laughs> I'm sure that was probably going through his mind. Well, I don't know. When he saw your collection was... He dug this in one hole, and uh, we're no. finding, you know, wood. <laughs> I know. Well, he did. Now, he did later on in the tour. Once we kind of got a chance to visit a little bit, and, and the cameras weren't rolling, I don't think. And he kind of looked, and he says, he pointed to, to a, a little slice of the collection. And with his hands going up and down, you know, left and right, you know, up and down, he'd say, Dave, if I could find just this one little slice <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> on the island, I'd be, I'd be the happiest guy in town. So forget the rest. You know, forget so, the rest. So just this one little piece. Comparing the compare Oak Island to what you've done, do you have any state or government uh, guidelines or strings that keep you from pulling stuff out? Because that's one of the obstacles they're having now on Oak yeah. Island since they found indigenous people yeah. uh, artifacts. That, you know, it's got to be an archaeological type dig now yeah. there. Anything like that for you at yeah. all? Yeah. Well, every lo every state has their own unique guidelines. Um, the state of Missouri, if you want to dig a boat here, you've got to apply for a permit th through the Department of Natural Resources. Um, it'll be in the wetlands or it'll be in, in farm ground, you know. Right. So you'll have to have EPA people come out and, and the Corps of Engineer people come out. And, and they're all going to want to look and see what you're doing and how you're going to impact the, you know, the world around you. But um, really and truly, it's... It's it's pretty cut and simple. You're going to dig the hole, you're going to put the dirt back, and you're going to take the collection out. Good you know? deal. And we've done it, and we've got a model of what we can point to and right. say, you know, there's not too many people around that have had the hands-on experience of doing what we've done. Right. In terms of preservation, in terms of excavation, in terms of we know we can anticipate the problems. Been there, done it. And so, well, and I think that's the amazing thing. You guys are were pretty much self-taught. Yeah, I mean, you just, were. You yeah. it was just through putting your head down and figuring uh -huh. it out. And Pumping all that water out was just yeah, amazing. That yeah. was. Well, amazing. we bought some books on dewatering, and yeah. we sized the pumps and pipes accordingly, and started in. You know, and what wasn't in the book, we just learned as we went. So, so talking about the Missouri River, you know, it it, it feeds into the Mississippi and St. Louis, correct? Yeah. And it goes into Montana in its full length, right? Yeah, it so starts how, up there. How much, how much of that was navigable by these steamboats? And then how many steamboats had sunk in the Missouri? Um, well, the Missouri River was navigable up to, well, Fort Benton, Montana, became um, the headwaters of the Missouri River for steamboating. Much above that, there used to be river uh, falls up there, waterfalls, and the steamboats couldn't get around them. So okay. Fort Benton became the headwaters uh, for steamboating. And that was a distance of about 3,000 miles by river, by river from St. Louis. You'd take one trip a year. You'd, you'd finish up your, the rest of your season on the lower river, but you could only navigate that because it took all summer to get there. That's a long way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it took a long <laughs> time a, to a get there. a few miles there. an hour. You oh, know. yeah, yeah, and it was a dangerous trip, and, and it, was, it was long and hard. 
Um, but um, the Arabia never went there. The boats didn't get up there until somewhere near the 1860s. So that was a little before yeah. the Arabia's day. Um, they would eventually go, you know. But um, um, buried along the course of the, those 3,000 miles, there's somewhere between three and 400 sunken steamboats. Wow. If you're Amazing. looking for the older boats, and I'm right now I'm looking for the older boats. They're between Kansas City and St. Louis. Because it took a while for them to come up. You sure. know, the first little boat would come a few miles, and, and then as, as they got better, they'd come further and further west. Um, but from Kansas City north, there's another couple hundred boats. So Kansas City kind of is about the middle of them. 200 boats north, 200 boats to the our east. Wow. Mm. So, so uh, the most important artifact that's in this museum... Is the reason we're all here. So we're watching the film of how it sinks. And it says it struck a walnut log. I'm like, how in the world do they know it was a walnut <laughs> log? Do you know how they know that? It's here. It's sitting it's in there. It's still <laughs> embedded in yeah. the hall. Found yeah. it in the hall. Well, to be clear, <coughs> the newspaper back in the day said it was a sycamore tree. And I promise you, they did not swim down and investigate to see yeah, that they would right. discover that was right. a sycamore. Sure. That was probably just what floated by really yeah, often. And yeah, and then sycamore. Well, sycamore was common, common along the river. The river. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so they said, well, it must have been a sycamore. Well, when good. we pulled it out, it, we sent a piece of wood off to the park service, and they said it was a walnut tree. So there you go. But the surprise was, see, I was down in the boat cleaning out from up there. And there was something hard behind me that you kept bumping into. And so I turned around with a wash, water jet and washed it off. And here's this big tree sticking in the, in the bottom of this boat. And my first thought was, <laughs> why were they shipping a tree to the frontier? <laughs> it made no sense. Well, here's this big tree. And, and so then you wash a little bit more, and there's the hole, and the tree sticking through the side of the boat yeah. still. And so then you realize, oh, this is, this this is, is, not, just, this is not cargo. <laughs> yeah, so this, is what, just this is what brought it down. Well, and that's, you know, there were two things I was amazed at finding uh, uh, amongst all the thousands of artifacts you found was the tree that sunk yeah. the boat. And the one victim of, of the boat, yeah. you found the mule. Found the mule. I was like, they found the freaking mule. <laughs> yeah. And that was a surprise, you know, because you would have thought that the river would have washed the poor thing away. That's right. what we thought. You know, yeah. who would have thought yeah. it still been on there? Well, the guy was, was interviewed by the newspaper back in the day. And he says, yeah, he says, I, I knew the boat was going to sink. He says, I felt the tree and the boat come together. And he says, I took my knife. And I cut the range of this poor mule to cut it so it could f swim. But he said it was a Missouri mule and just too stubborn to go. That's his story. But when we got down there, here was this poor thing, and it was still tied. The reins were not cut. So then we felt really bad for him. And so we thought, oh, we've got to name him. We've got to name him something. The only appropriate thing to do. So we thought for a couple days. And we decided we'd call him Lawrence. Lawrence. So this is Lawrence of... Arabia. Arabia. Uh. Nice. <laughs> but I want to know, I want to know who found the mule and went, we Holy just crap. found the freaking mule. <laughs> well, we didn't think that when we first started. We washed and here's these bones sticking up and they were rib bones, one right after the other. With a, oh, this is a person. There's this is a person who can get off this boat. So we washed a little bit more and the bones got longer. And then pretty soon there were bigger bones. And then pretty soon there was this leather saddle thing and a strap. And the, then there was the head and the bridle. And, right. and then we realized, we thought it was a horse. We thought it looked like a horse, you know. And the veterinarian said, nah, it was a mule. So Amazing. <laughs> that is yeah. pretty neat. So I know you've got to run. So yeah. 
we'd like to just thank you for taking time right. and for putting all the work in here. This is just absolutely amazing. Oh, you're welcome. Well, thanks amazing. for taking the time and having the interest. You guys have traveled a long ways to, absolutely, to make absolutely. a report we, on this thing. I, we, I, I'm we, very honored that you would take that kind of go out of your way to do we that. We do have shovels if you need help digging the next one Well, out. why don't you come and do a, bon, um, a podcast from out there? Oh, you absolutely oh, would love yeah. it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that'd, that'd be awesome. Yeah, just yeah. come and bring your whole crew and we'll get you shoveled down in the mud. and We will absolutely do that. Talk about what that feels like. I can run some equipment, so I so can I? I mean, you're, that's your ticket so in. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. Give me so an excavator. I'm good to go. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So our our listeners, which we have listeners all over this country, and and you know, you're here. You're right on I-70. You know, yeah. people are traveling here all the time, and I couldn't tell you. I, there's a number of times I've traveled through here on I-70, unbeknownst to me, this gem sitting here. Really. And so yeah. it's like, uh, yeah. you know, people should know to to stop in here, take yeah. it, take take some time and. Take a good portion of a day and stop in here and see this. Well, museum. that's kind of the that's kind of the nature of, of buried treasure. It's hard to find, you know. Yep. Right. So that's right. It's, it's ferreted out, you know. So well, hopefully, deal. we can get the word out a little yeah. bit more. Yeah, yeah. Get some, absolutely. Some more right. visitors from around the country. Yeah, and we will definitely schedule with you to do a podcast yes. on the site. That would be interesting. That'd be awesome. Well, we're kind of thinking that not this winter, but the following. We're working through the architectural sketches and all that kind of stuff. So by sometime later this year, we're no, we'll know for sure if this if this deal in St. Charles is going to fly. Yeah, because you want to be able to, as you're digging and bringing up, you need a place to put it. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, right. you I can't take it home. Right. How's it big enough? Right. Yeah. You know, so I got I need a home. Honey said it. no to that, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, no. yeah, more or less. And so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But it'll be a neat exhibit, and, and I think that your listeners will enjoy it, hearing about it. And, and uh, if we can get this project on the road to be dug, then we'll look forward to seeing you yeah. out there on the farm someday. Yeah, you know what? We'll, we'll call Christian Roper and grab him too oh that might be a good really so good, i don't know yeah. if you know christian roper was on beyond beyond oak island as well he's a treasure hunter he was searching for uh lost spanish silver spanish silver yeah. in a river down texas west texas yep. yeah so w we actually just talked to him last week he's out in skinwalker, skinwalker ranch, ranch right okay. now but okay doing a he's like man i i'd like to meet that guy oh, talking about you, you so yeah. well, so we yeah. actually make this happen Bring we'll, we'll oh, yeah. well, I'll tell him. you another a year or I, so in advance, we could probably yeah. work that out. Well, I'll guarantee you that Marty will be here. Marty All right, we're in. Probably we're in. Uh, <laughs> so you guys won't even want to talk to me. You'll be yeah. talking to Marty and Rick, you know. So Dave, now, get on out. No, we, we, that, that you, again, mentioned, now. you mentioned that. A couple of us have actually been to Oak Island. Yeah, we've been to Oak Island. I'm not surprised. Pre-COVID. Pre-COVID. We were actually, we were going to go back in 2020 when COVID hit and canceled that trip. You know what the biggest difference is between you and Marty? Uh-uh. You found the treasure. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't and tell him. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, I'm Alan Stanger with Dwayne Bischoff, Jeff Montag, Mike Gardner, and a very special guest, David Hawley. And it's been a pleasure, thank David. You. Thank you. Thank you. First of all, we would like to thank David for sitting down with us, telling the tale of finding the treasure, bringing the treasure up, cleaning it, the museum, and everything that goes with it. Literally, there were several hundred people in the museum. He's there personally interacting with them, talking to them, and we just like to thank him for taking time out of his busy schedule uh, to sit down with us. Now, you also heard him invite us out for the Malta. So when that happens, we will definitely let everybody know. Uh, we're excited about that, obviously. This podcast has done a lot of things for everybody in the group. Uh, we've come to make new friends who we now call family, 
We get to meet people like David, people like Maddie Blake, Christian Roper, and then everyday common people that are special in their own ways as well. Uh, first of all, we'd like to thank all of our listeners because you guys make it happen. We are going to post on our Facebook page numerous pictures from the Arabia Steamboat Museum. I hope to have them up on Monday. Please take time to go to our Facebook page. Take a look at those pictures. It is amazing. Our Facebook page is uh, Cross the Line 15 slash 24, uh, or you can go to our website, CrossTheLine1524.com, and there's a link there as well. So thank you. We got more to come the next couple weeks. We were on the road for a while, and um, it was just it's been a blast. You've been listening to Cross the Line 1524 with Dwayne Bischoff, Jeff Montag, Ruben Hunt, and Alan Stanger. Remember, you like us, leave us a five-star rating and positive comment on whatever podcast app you're using. Hey, check out our webpage at www.crossthelline1524.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. Check out Podcast 1524 on Twitter and Cross the Line 15 slash 24 on Facebook.